I want to continue this morning on our study on 1 Peter. And it is just amazing how the message that Pastor Ted brought last week fits right into where we're going in 1 Peter today. How many were here last week to hear Pastor Ted? All right, now, if you weren't here, well, for me, let me first of all ask this question. How many of your lives are changed after last week's message? If your lives weren't changed, you weren't listening or you weren't caring. I would encourage you, if you weren't able to, I would encourage you to go to our website, centerpointassembly.com, go to the sermons page and listen to that. It was an awesome message, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But today we're going to pick up on 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to talk about pride or humility. And basically it's your choice. You choose. Are you going to be proud or are you going to be humble? It's interesting as we've been studying Peter that he does really bring to bear some things in our lives that are very pertinent. It's hard. Isn't it amazing to think that scriptures were written so many hundreds of thousands of years ago and how they still pertain to today? That the issues are still as real today in humanity as they were then and it's still applicable in our lives? When we look at scripture and we read it and we say, wow, I think he's writing to me. I think this passage is right to me. No, it wasn't to you. It was to the writer. It was to those people scattered in all Asia at that time. But it's amazing that God's word never changes and it never loses its significance. So in some ways, when the Holy Spirit was inspiring Peter to write those words, he was thinking of you this morning. He was thinking of me. He was thinking of the situation that you're in, I'm in. He's saying, I want you to write the words, Peter, right now because people in 2017 need to hear it. They need to hear that inspired word of God. That's awesome that we have a God that cares so much about us that he makes a word that never goes out of season. It doesn't need to change with the relative morality of this world. No, it's constant and it's steady and it's right on. And that's where I, I thrill. I'm thrilled when I read God's word and see that. So let's pick it up. Let's go open your Bible or you can look at the screen. A lot of scriptures today. That's why we have, that's why he gave you that handout. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. It says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because... Why? Because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you care for us. We're so thankful that you are with us in the fire of life and in the fire of tribulation that you are with us and you will never abandon us and you will never leave us to walk through alone, that you are right there with us. And Lord, as we learn now how to live a life that's pleasing to you, as we learn to live in a life of humility, that you will show up just at the right time in our life to rescue us from ourselves. We ask that you would just open our ears and open our eyes to hear and see what you would have us to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. Obviously, verse 5 is a continuation of previous verses by the way it starts. He says, in the same way. Well, in the same way as what? 
Well, let's go back to verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 chapter 2 says, talking to the elders, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. See, Peter is giving good instruction now to the elders of the day. And elders, as we talked about a few weeks ago, were not just the ones that are older by physical age, because that is an elder by definition, but he's also talking about those that are older spiritually. Timothy was a young man, but yet Timothy was an elder in the faith because of his spiritual maturity. So this is not talking about just people with gray hair or lacking hair. It's talking about those that have a continuing faith and a continuing growth in relationship with Jesus that makes us an elder in Christ, right? So that's who he's talking about here. So that the elders are given a responsibility that they are to be honest and godly motivated to take care of the people that they're given charge over, that they are to have a right heart and to have a right motivation, that they are not to use the authority given to them for dishonest gain that they are not to manipulate people for their own agenda, that they are to uh, finally, that they are to live a life of godly example, that people can look at their life and say, oh man, I see a godly man there or a godly woman there and I want to emulate that. So leaders, elders, spiritually people, godly people, we have a lot of responsibility in this. God, through Peter, is giving us much accountability and much responsibility to live and talk and act in a way that is becoming of the Lord. A lot of responsibility. But at the same time, he's given a lot of responsibility to those that are following. He goes in verse 5, it says, now this is where he goes in the same way. In the same way, uh, young people, as the older people have responsibility to lead, younger people or younger Christians, you have a responsibility to follow. So in the same way that they were given responsibility to lead, in the same way, you must be responsible to follow because your, your accountability comes in how well you follow. You know, we see Jesus as being the greatest leader of all time. Anybody have a problem with that statement? That Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. But do you know also that Jesus was the greatest follower of all time? Who did Jesus follow? His father. Did he ever do anything on his own? No. So he was a perfect example. If we want to ever become great leaders, we first must become great followers. That's the only way we're going to aspire to leadership is by becoming a good follower first. That's what Jesus taught us. So in the context of godly obedience and commitment of the older folks, that, or the younger folks, I'm sorry, the younger in spiritual age, that we are to have a responsibility to actively submit to the elders among us. See, a person that shuns or resists godly leadership and is unwilling to submit themselves, do you know how they hinder and prohibit God from working on their behalf? If you can't follow a godly leader, if you can't be submissive to your spiritual elders, you are taking yourself out 
of God's ability to bless and direct your life. That's how serious this is. God cannot overturn your choices. If you choose to be prideful and arrogant and unsubmissive, then you're choosing to walk away from the blessings and the providence of God. Recognize how significant this is. This really, what Peter is talking to us about, is a cooperative effort here. To We're going to work together through godly leadership and godly followership so that we can be effectively building the kingdom of God. That's what this is about. That's what he's trying to teach us. Peter takes it a step further then from just talking about the younger people. Then he goes on and in the same verse, he goes, um, all of you, now he's going, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So he's, moving the, he's, he's, he's broadening the context of the younger ones submitting to the older ones. Now he says, well, hold it. Let's just, let's just say it the way it is. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves. Put on humility towards one another. Treat each other as you want to be treated. Humility. Humility is the key for every man and woman to act toward each other. There is no room in God's plan for a prideful heart. There is no room. If there's any element of pride, recognize you're not pleasing to the Lord. Pride is the thing that cost Lucifer his position in heaven. Because there was pride that rose up in Lucifer, God had to banish him from his role of being the worship leader or probably the most anointed angel of all heaven because a little bit of pride rose up in Lucifer's heart that says, I can ascend to God. I can be God. Well, now, I'm not saying that we're saying that. But I think there's enough of that within us that if we don't see it for what it is, it will hinder us and it will take us away from a relationship with God. Pride needs to be understood. Humility must be understood. Peter gives the reason. If you don't understand it by now, he goes on and he says, this is the reason why we must clothe ourselves with humility towards others. He says, because God, read it with me, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. We all know what it's like to be in opposition with someone, something. We've just expressed our awesomeness, reverence of God in this service today. Do you really want to be in opposition to him? Do you really think you're going to have any success living a life in opposition to God? No. I will answer for you, no. <laughs> you will not have any success if you're living a life in opposition to God. So here's the court. Here's what we have to do. We have to be humble. Because if I'm proud, God opposes me. But he gives favor to the humble. That's the theme in all of the Old and New Testament. All of that is talk about how God detests the prideful nature of man, and how he continuously lifts, lifts up the humble. That's the theme of the whole Bible. God detests the pride in people's heart. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's dig into a little bit and let's really see it for what it is. I have a number of verses I have listed out. And we're going to just read through these quickly, but I want you to see the significance here that I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the word. Beginning at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. He, who is he, God, God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16:5. The Lord detests, strong word, the Lord detests all the proud of heart, but be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. They may be prideful today and they may be looking good in it, but there's coming a day that there's going to be punishment. Judgment is coming. A just God will met out just punishment. Proverbs 16, 18, the pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, the living Bible, pride ends in a fall while humility brings honor. Isaiah 2, verses 11 through 12. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Remember what the word says? Every knee will bow before Jesus. The question is, do you want to do it now while it's your choice? Or do you want to wait till it's then when it's not your choice? You see how powerful choices are? We can choose to be proud or we can choose to be humble. We can choose to bow our knee today while it's our choice and say, Jesus, I am your servant and you are my Lord. In other words, I give you ownership of me. It's not just enough to be saved. You have to give ownership of yourself if you want to live a life of salvation. That's what he's talking about. Luke chapter 1, just so you know that this is still in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, verses 51 and 52. For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. This is Mary's prayer. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary is talking about baby Jesus. James chapter 5, verse 6. But he gives grace. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If Scripture is so consistent on the evil and the detestability of pride and everything about it, then why do we struggle with it so? Why do we struggle with pride when we know how evil it is? Now maybe you're saying, Mike, I don't have a problem with pride. I'm a humble person. Just ask me. I'll tell you how humble I am. Well, listen. <laughs> what does pride do? What does pride do? Pride puts you and me in direct opposition to God and his ability to answer your prayers. When you pray, do your prayers ever feel like they just bounce off the ceiling? Yeah, I have to admit it. Not always easy. Maybe I need to do some, maybe I need to do some gut checking. Maybe there's some pride in me. Wow. A commentary says this about pride. It says the theme in the Old and New Testaments is, is God's hatred. Strong word. God hates some things, by the way. Do you know that? As much as God loves, 
God also hates. God's hatred of pride. Therefore, he opposes the proud and he, and he gives attention and help to the humble. Pride causes God to turn from our prayers and withhold his grace. Pride causes, pride changes God from looking at you and says, I want to meet your needs. Pride causes God to change. He turns from our prayers and withholds his grace. To be exalted in our own minds or to pursue the honor and esteem from others in order to satisfy our pride is to cut ourselves off from God's help. Now, do we see how damaging pride can be? Do we, do we, do we know now how, it import, how important it is that we get over the struggle with pride and we need to deal with this? How do I know you're struggling with it? Because I struggle with it. And I'm no different than you. I mean, if I felt that I could figure this thing out and if I didn't struggle with pride, then I could look at, maybe I could say out there, well, maybe there's others out there that aren't struggling with pride. But because I struggle with it, I know you are. Because we're no different. Pride is deceitfully powerful and it comes in many forms and it is no respecter of persons. Even the most lowly person, even the person that has no money. Now we can see how easy it is for the rich and the, and the, rich and, and, and the lofty to be prideful. But, you know, you can be proud in your poverty. You can be proud in the fact that you have nothing. Pride is no respecter of persons, nor is it any respecter of geography, nor is it any respecter of affluence or education or lack of. Pride is that most basic element that's in the man's heart. That is why I can pretty much guarantee that we all struggle with it on a daily basis. Now, how do you know when you're struggling with pride? What are some telltale signs that you're struggling with this? We know we're struggling with pride when we find ourselves bragging about our humility. When I have to try to convince myself that I'm humble or convince somebody else that I'm humble, I'm struggling with pride. The minute we're thinking that we're gaining humility is the absolute moment to start the process of humbling ourselves all over again. When I think I have this thing figured out, be careful. Another area is when, I, is when I serve people. And when I serve somebody with a watchful eye thinking, oh, who's watching me? Who's going to see how good I serve here? Who's going to see how humble I am by serving the lowliest of the low? Pride. The heart to serve God that pleases the Lord is a heart that serves God when no one's watching. When I know I'm all alone, that's a humble heart. Another time I know what I'm struggling with pride is when I resist coming into Bible studies and I come into men's and, group, men's and women's study groups because you feel like you have something more important to do. Or I already know that. Been there, done that, I have that t-shirt. That person knows no more than I do. I'm not going to come under that man's teaching or woman's teaching because I got it figured out. Pride. Now listen, I'm not about saying things like that just because I want more people in Sunday school or more people in Wednesday night. But can I tell you, my motivation for all of this is because I love you and because I want to tell you the truth about God's Word. And we have much good discussion and we have much good things that happen in smaller groups. When people get together and they rightly divide the Word of God, 
and they talk and they pray and we spend time with each other. Sunday mornings, guys, is not cutting it. It's not enough to come in on a weekly basis and sit on Sunday mornings and think you're pleasing to the Lord and you're so humble. No, I'll tell you what. I know there are times when you can't make Wednesday nights. I get that. There are times you're busy. I get that. Or you have to miss a Bible study or something. I get that. But how many times are you sitting at home making a choice, knowing that it's Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, knowing that it's Bible study time, whatever that group is you're meeting with, and you make the choice to say, no, you know what? I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather watch this TV show. I don't want to get out of bed that early. It's too hard for me to get out of bed on Sunday mornings. I'm telling you guys what that is. It's detestable pride before the Lord. I love you. Do you hear the love? Seriously. Do you hear it? It is the Lord crying out to his people, humble yourselves before me. Break yourselves before me and I will lift you up. But if there's pride at any level because you're too good, you, you already know enough. That's hindering your prayers. That's hindering your relationship with the Lord. And that's probably keeping this church small. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know this is not popular, but it's the way it is. It's what God's word is all about. An unteachable spirit is a spirit of pride or a one that's quickly offended when the truth comes. If you're quickly offended when someone brings to you a, an encouragement or a word of rebuke, what does the Bible say about God rebuking his children? What does the Bible say about God loving us so much that he will discipline those that he loves? See, sometimes discipline comes through a brother or sister in Christ. And if I have this element called pride that steps up and all of a sudden I'm offended because somebody, how dare them talk to me that way? That's the Lord's discipline that may be coming to you and you're you're pridefully sticking your nose up in the air to God and you're saying, God, no, it's not who I am. And God's saying, yes, it is who you are. Mike, that is who you are. Listen, you are accountable just as much as anybody else is. You need to be accountable to someone's positive critique. Let's move on. You also know you're proudful when you're resistant to being involved in the things that are seemingly below your status level. <laughs> you know, I, hey, listen. I can't do dishes in the, in, in, the, in the kitchen. Are you kidding me? I, I might get my hands wet. I can't take care of kids in the nursery. I, I can't teach kids. They're just kids. Uh, uh, come on, I'm too important. I, I can't help clean up the church on work days. I can't lower myself to be seen with people that aren't of my social stature in the world. That kid at school that is not the cool kid, I can't be with that kid or that person at work. You know, that's called pride because I'm elevating myself up in a position where God says, no, that's where I want you to be. I've put you there to do that. Now do it and do it humbly and I will lift you up. These are just a few of the simple characteristics or indicators that pride is still alive in our hearts even though one claims to be Christ-centered. I mean, one more comment about pride, and then we're going to talk about humility. Let me ask you, why, if you really examine yourself, <laughs> I mean, get out of the shower on a Monday morning and don't even dry off and stand in front of a mirror and look at yourself and thinking, I'm prideful over this? 
It's not, a, it's not a pretty thing, man. And so why am I, who am I, that why should I have a prideful, haughty spirit when I look at myself and all the flaws that I have? I mean, it's amazing to think that God loves me in all of my ugliness. Yet I'm proudful? How do I get there? Where does that come from? Job struggled, even though it didn't appear to be. I want to read quite a long passage in Job here. In fact, I go home and read Job 38, 39, and 40. Four chapters, or three chapters. Three chapters. I'm not going to read all three chapters. But this is God's answer to a man about the difference between a man and God. Job chapter 38, beginning at verse 1. In the Living Bible, it says this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Why are you using your ignorance to, de- to deny my providence? Now get ready to fight, for I am going to demand some answers from you, and you must reply. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Do you know how its dimensions were determined and who did the surveying? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who decreed the boundaries of the seas when they gushed from the depths? Who clothed them with clouds and thick darkness and barred them by limiting their shores and said, thus far and no farther shall you come and there, here shall your proud waves stop? Have you ever once commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever told the daylight to spread to the ends of the earth and to to end the the night's wickedness? Have you ever robed the dawn in red and disturbed the haunts of wicked men and stopped the arm raised to strike? Have you explored the springs from which the seas come or walked in the sources of their depths? Has the location of the gates of death been revealed to you? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does the light come from and how do you get there? Or tell me about the darkness. Where does it come from? Can you find its boundaries or go to its source? But of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. Do you hear the sarcasm in that last statement? God just read Job his mail in three chapters about Job. Do you have any idea who you are? And do you have any idea who I am? So therefore, where in the world do you think you have the right to be proudful? Prideful. But we do. We do. We battle with pride even when we know we don't have the right to battle with pride. This is the sickness of the disease called sin that rises up in every person. It has infiltrated the hearts of every person to the very core of your heart. That's where it comes from. Psalms chapter 36, 1 through 4. Sin lurks deep in the hearts of the wicked, forever urging them to do evil deeds. They have no fear of God to hold them back. Instead of their conceit or their pride, they think they can hide their evil deeds and not get caught. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They are no longer wise and good. They lie awake at night to watch their evil plots instead of planning how to keep away from doing wrong. If we're going to be one of, one of those that are pleasing to God, then we need to break this curse of pride. And we can do it, by the way. We're going to talk about how we do it, but we can do it. But we need to understand the depths of its problem first. You must understand how bad it is and how wrong it is and how detestable it is because there's work to be done. There's work to be done. So now, what does it look like to actually be humble and what God thinks of a person that's striving to be so? What does it look like? Let's go back to our text. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 
Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. A prideful person places themselves in opposition to God and all of his blessings, while a humble person places himself in the position of God's favor and his blessings. It's our choice. What position do you want to be in? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Humility, having a humble spirit. Can you imagine what that feels like to God after looking down on a prideful, dark world and God sees a humble person? Can you imagine what that must do to his heart to think, wow, I finally found one. I finally found one that's humble towards me, broken towards me. Hey, Jesus, come here. Holy Spirit, come here. Do you see what I see? I think that when God looks down and sees a humble and broken, contrite heart, he's pleased. He's pleased. And he can't wait to pour out blessings. And he can't wait to show people how much he loves us when he sees that brokenness. Another commentary says this about humility. Humility is the mark and distinguishing characteristic of all God's people. It means, it means an absence of selfish pride, a consciousness of one's weaknesses, and the earnest ability to give God and others the credit for what is achieved or accomplished. We are a humble person is quick to give away the credit. Quick to say, thank you, Jesus. Quick to make sure that he doesn't draw attention to himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. See, selfish ambition and vain conceit is in direct contrast to what it means to be humble. The world doesn't get this. The world we live in does not understand the power of a meek person. They look at it as weak. You look, they look at you as insignificant. They look at uh, humility as a, as a weakness, as something to be exploited that they will exploit you when they see you being meek, that you are an easy target. That's what the world sees. But that's not what God sees. God sees a man of valor, a man ready to conquer much because of his brokenness. Now let me tell you what humbleness isn't before we talk more about what humbleness is. Humbleness is not hating yourself. Sometimes we take an extreme version of humbleness to say, oh, I have to deny myself. I have to hate myself. There's nothing about humbleness that is talking about self-denial or self-abuse. There's nowhere in Scripture that we're told to hate anything other than what God hates. So clearly, I can't hate myself as an act of humility. Really, that's a false sense of pride. Nothing good comes from hate unless it's hating only what God hates. So how do we do this? No, really, you know what? You're, you are to love yourself. Do you know that? You are to love yourself. But let's look at the context and how you love yourself. Matthew chapter 22, 37 and 38. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say love your neighbor as you hate yourself. 
No, he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, we are to love yourself. You are to have a self-love that will make you, in the proper context, pleasing to the Lord. The problem comes when I make my love greater for me than it is for my neighbor. He's saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So humility is not abusing yourself and denying yourself of who you are. No, you need to have a proper ego. You need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. Not who you are in your sin, but who you are in Christ Jesus. And you need to love yourself. You need to forgive yourself. That's a, many people have a hard time with this. They think humility says, I'm going to hold on to all the hurts that I've caused myself and other people, and I just cannot enjoy life anymore. I've done so many bad things in my life, I can't enjoy it anymore because I'm humble. No, you're not. You're self-deceived and you're self-pride. That's, that's, a, that's a false sense of pride. No, what you need to do is you need to love yourself and forgive yourself as Christ loves and forgives you and as you love and forgive others. Make sense? Amen? Do we see that? Is that important to know? Absolutely. C.S. Lewis says it best. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Somebody that's a C.S. Lewis fan, repeat it with me. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Isn't that awesome? It's not thinking, of, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's basically not thinking of yourself as much as you do. Think of yourself less and think of others more. That's true humility. That's what it is to be like-minded in Christ. That's what Jesus was. It's pretty deep, isn't it? What does it mean then to be humble? And what might it look like? First of all, to live humbly is a direct requirement of a godly person. There is no other choice if you're going to be pleasing to the Lord. You must be humble. Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? <laughs> what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's a requirement, not a suggestion, not a maybe if you feel like it. It's a requirement. The command is given. Humility is a requirement, not just a good idea or give it your best effort. It is a brokenness. There is a required change of heart that is on the part of everyone working out their own salvation. You are to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. There is work required to be humble. There's work here. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. My, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in his good purpose. Humbly working out the will of God in your life. To be humble is an intentional mindset that is contrary to the world's. This is the mindset of Christ that I choose to be humble. And you're going to have to make yourself. You're going to have to really dig deep on this because it's, not, it's, 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 it's going to fight your natural man. Your natural man is going to fight this thing because a natural man is naturally prideful. So you're going to really have to be intentional here. You're going to have to really work at it. You're going to have to really study it. What does it mean to be humble? What does the Lord do for people that are humble? The Lord will comfort the one who lives in humility. Isaiah 57, verse 16, the Living Bible translation says this, The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the holy one 
that's God, says this, I live in that high and holy place where those with contrite, that's a broken, contrite, humble spirit dwell. And I refresh the humble and to give new courage to those with repentant hearts. God opposes the proud, gives favor to the humble. The ones who live in true humility are the ones that often work the hardest. Think about this. Think about this. The ones who live in true humility are often the ones that work the hardest to declare the truth of God's word. And they serve him with everything they have. The prideful one will look for the shortcuts. The prideful one will look for the shortcuts, but yet looking good on the outside. He'll work hard when people are watching. He'll, do it, he'll, he'll come and work at the work beat when everybody's there watching. He'll do all this stuff when he's getting accolades from, it, from, from, from men. But the true humble person, he will be the one working when nobody sees him. He'll be the one cleaning up the church or cleaning up the kitchen or witnessing downtown or doing whatever he's, good, whatever he's doing with the, for the best that he can when nobody else is watching and he will tell nobody about it. Nobody's got to know what you do to be effective in the kingdom. In fact, the more you tell people what you do, the less humble you are. And let me just tell you, you are fighting that process of staying humble. You don't have to tell people what you're doing. Just do it. Knowing that God, our Father, sees what you're doing and He will reward those that do secretly. That's His plan. So I'm just telling you, if you want to figure out how to stay humble, then don't tell people what you're doing for the Lord. Now you're saying, well, wait, I thought that was a testimony. Well, yeah. Sometimes it's proper to give a good testimony. But when testimonies are about me, when testimonies are about, well, I'm so humble that the Lord uses me, tell me, tell you, I'll tell you right now, you're not humble. Don't tell me how humble you are that the Lord uses you. The Lord will use a donkey. You don't have to be humble for the Lord to use you. Just do it and then don't talk about it. And let the Lord do what he wants to do. And let him get all the glory. Okay. Kind of hard. Back off. Acts 20, 18 through 21, talking about how a humble person will go to the nth degree to continue to tell the truth of God's word. Paul talking, when they arrived... He told them, You men know that from the day I set foot in Turkey until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly, yes, and with tears, and have faced grave danger from the plots of the Jews against my life. Yet I never shrank from telling you the truth, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike, the necessity of turning from sin to God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. A humble person will tell the truth no matter what's going on. And he doesn't have to tell you how humble he is in the process. A humble person works really hard. A humble, a humble spirit is not a lazy spirit. Sometimes we think, well, I shouldn't have to give it my all because people will look at me and they'll think, oh, how, you know, that I'm doing a really good job and all that stuff. But here's the deal. According to the writer Paul, talking to the Colossians, humbleness and humility require us to work in everything as if we're, work, as we're working unto the Lord. Think about who you're working for, and that might help you in your effort. Colossians chapter 3, 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ 
you are serving. A humble heart works for the right purpose, works for the right person, and that's Jesus. Jesus was the best example of what it meant to be humble. We talked about that already, how Jesus was the best leader but also the best follower. He followed because he was humble. He followed because he knew the significance of being a follower of his father was going to require a broken and a humble, contrite spirit. And when we can have that same mindset of Jesus in our lives to humbly and serve God as our father, then we are becoming in the mindset of Jesus Christ. All right, now, now, maybe you're asking the questions about blessings because he says in, in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. You see, if we just left it that way, it could cause some concerns. If we just humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. But read the whole sentence. What does he say? In due time. This is the significance of God knowing the bigger picture than what I know. Because I know what I know right now. And I don't like to suffer at all I'm doing right now. I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. I want to have money. I want to have prosperity. I want to have all the good things in life that happen to me. And they're not happening to me yet right now, God. And I'm working really hard to be humble. Really, seriously. But here's the key. In due time. Because God knows the end from the beginning. And he knows what he has to accomplish through what he's allowing in your life to accomplish in you to bring the fire that Angel talked about. It was right on, Angel. To bring the fire in your life to bring you through to that level of perfection that he's leading it through. So in due time, he will lift you up. He will not leave you abandoned forever. You will not go through eternity by yourself. You may feel right now you're alone a little bit. You may feel that way. But if you remain humble and broken and contrite, in due time, Jesus is going to be there. And then verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We can only read verse 7, really, after we've spent this much time talking about verse 5 and 6. We had to go through all that on pride, all that on the ugliness and detestability of pride, all that on what it requires to be humble before I can really read verse 7 and it makes any sense to me. Now... I can cast all my anxieties on Jesus. Now I can do it because I understand pride and I understand humility and I'm, I have a humble, broken, repentant heart. And now with that, I know that Jesus cares enough about me and his shoulders are big enough to take all my anxieties. And I can rest now knowing that I have given it to Jesus and I'm not going to take him back. Jackie, would you come? I don't know about you, but I don't like anxiety. I don't like it when I'm nervous. I don't like it when things aren't going well. I don't like it when people that I see that I love are struggling with sickness. I don't like it when I see people hurting emotionally. It hurts me. It hurts me. I don't like it. And the only way I can deal with that is knowing that I can't change it. I can't. But I know who can. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And when I can learn to walk in a relationship with him, broken, contrite, humble, 
realizing that I'm forgiven, realizing that he loves me, realizing that I have a destiny that no one can take away from me, realizing that I have eternity waiting for me, I can just get through these hard moments in time right now. And I know that I'll have eternity with, Father, with the Father. I'll know I'll have eternity looking in the face of Jesus and he'll look at me and he'll say, Mike, do you know how much I love you? Do you have a clue how much? See, when I can get that, that will help me get through the hard times because we go through them. And I'm not minimizing your hard times because they're hard. I get that. But Jesus is so much more. So much more. So this morning as we close, I would challenge all of us this morning. Where's your heart this morning? What choice are you making between pride and humility? Do you you see the significance now of what it means to be broken? Do you see the significance of what it means to come and say, I need help? Don't worry about calling me or anybody else to say, I need help. Sometimes we're so prideful, we don't even want to ask for help. What a circle. Sanity. Ask people. Be glad to help you. Could we pray this morning? Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are so thankful that you love us so much that you are willing to share your heart with us today, that you're willing to share how much things hurt you sometimes. Lord, I just call out to you today for humility to be a blanket over this church, that we would clothe ourselves with humility as a person that if I need to go back and say I'm sorry to somebody, if I need to go back and apologize because I was a little bit harsh, that I can do that because I'm humble. If I need to make any changes in my attitude of entitlement, that I would do that. that maybe you need to make some other serious changes in my life. Lord, I want you to know that I'm willing to do that. This morning, as you are contemplating this this morning, and as you are thinking about this in your own life, do you need help? Do you need help with this area of pride? Can I tell you that sometimes the significance of an altar call is more about the pride of a man, of a woman, because you're afraid of what somebody's going to think about you. You're afraid of what somebody's going to think if you raise your hand. If somebody might be looking, and they're not doing what they're doing because they're they're looking and their eyes are supposed to be closed, (laughs) and they happen to see your hand go up, you know what that's called? Pride. Do you want help this morning? Would you stand with me? This morning, if you want help in this area of pride, I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult. I'm going to ask you to join me at the altar. I'm going to ask you to take a step of slaying the pride in your life and begin the walk of humility by making these first steps to say, Father, I am ashamed of myself, and I'm so thankful that you're calling me. And I want to extend my life to you. So this morning, I know your eyes have to be open to walk. But that shouldn't be a hindrance to you. 
This morning, if you want to deal with pride, I'm asking you to come down and join me at the altar this morning as we sing this song that Jackie's playing. Father, we thank you for this message today. And I pray, Lord, that this message would ride with the people all week long, in fact, all their life, God, because the truth of God's word never changes, never diminishes. Lord, we need to lay the pride down always, every day. I need to slay myself so that you get bigger. I must become less and you must become more. And Lord, I don't do that in a self-debasing way. I do it in a way that brings you more glory. And Father, I just pray now for your people today. And I pray that you honor them and strengthen them and give them strength today to clothe themselves with humility and walk in an attitude of love and compassion and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today as you go. Thank you, Jesus.